So good morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name's Jamie. I am the associate pastor here, and Brian snuck out the back door because he's on vacation, and that's good. So it's a pleasure, it's a privilege to, to share with you. I'm going to move this fan so you can hear me. <clears throat> so often when, when you're preparing a message, typically, you know, God puts something, really firms something up in your heart, and you think, this is the direction I need to go, and then you sort of go through the study, and you, you go through the prayer, and, and you get it all done, and then, and, then, and then things change, and you realize that that whole message was just for you. God was just talking to me. He was dealing with me. And then the week, as the events of the week sort of unfolded and as things progressed, this week was one of the most roller coaster of weeks that I've had in a long time. And for those of you who know me, that says a lot, right? Aside from me being insane, my weeks are typically pretty crazy too. Pastor Brian, uh, as he prayed for our friend Courtney who passed, some other things with personal, personal things with friends. Um, you also know I have a Portuguese wife who's 31 weeks pregnant. I love you. God really redirected me. I'm going to have a hard time talking to you today. I couldn't even sing these songs. I remember... The title of this message is, Can You Praise Him Now? And this phrase, this question, has a very deep meaning to me personally. Because when I was going through the darkest moment of my life, I remember, it'll be 10 years ago next month, I remember walking into this place addicted, broken, and wanting to die. And I was giving this thing one last chance before I checked out. And I had this real encounter with the living God. And I fell in love with Jesus. And this broken man who had absolutely nothing left to offer anybody, Jesus scooped me up off the floor and he gave me purpose and meaning, but most importantly, he gave me a reason to praise. And I started singing and praising and weeping at his feet. And I suddenly realized like who he was and what the gospel meant for a fool like me. That it took dead men and made them alive. That everything else in this world meant absolutely nothing unless I had that. And I had wasted 36 years up until that point, searching and seeking for things that would never fulfill me. And then I found this song in my heart and joy and peace, and it was just remarkable. It was miraculous because I hadn't ever had that, not since I was a boy. And I remember about 30 days in, I got some really devastating news. 
And in the past, that would have leveled me. I would have ran. I would have done something really stupid. I would have left where I was to go fix things. And instead, against all of my human nature, all of my flesh, everything I, my carnal nature wanted to do, it stayed still. I read, God gave me a verse. It was Exodus 14, 14 that said, be still, the Lord will fight for you. And so I stayed. And I committed to another 30 days. And I remember being so angry, almost like stayed begrudgingly. Why am I even here? And a friend of mine, who was a leader there, came up to me, and I, at that point, wanted co-signing, and I wanted pity. I wanted someone to feel bad for me and to join my little pity party. And he looked me in the face and he said, can you praise him now? My first inclination was to punch him in the throat. And then I cried. He said, he's the same exact God he was yesterday that you were singing praises to on the altar, Jamie. He hasn't changed. Your circumstances have changed. Things are happening in your life, but that's going to happen. He says, but can you praise him now? And I walked away from him. And I realized in that moment that no matter what, that I could no matter what happens. And there's some people in this room today who are going through some really tough stuff or who have or who are going to. And the only way out, that bridge beyond despair to joy is praise. It's praise. It's giving that breath back to God like Izzy said. What a, what a beautiful sentiment in that quote, right? You know, we've read many stories and heard many stories of, of people in the Bible who've endured great trials and remained faithful, even praised God in their darkest hours. Joseph and David and Job, Sarah, Elijah, and the list is endless, Right? But Pastor Brian recently preached on the truth of Scripture and how it was inspired by God or God-breathed. I always say on our Wednesday night group that men may have held the pens, but God held their hearts. And that's where we get the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, and it's all very useful and all of these stories that we hear about are not just stories of like, wow, I wish I could be like that. They're stories that are meant to inspire and encourage us, to let us know that even in our darkest times, even in the worst moments of our lives, that we can lift up our hands and we can praise Him. So today I'm going to talk about praising God, not even when, but especially when things aren't going well. We're going to look at the life of the great Apostle Paul and the lessons he teaches us through his life and ministry. And I pray that God speaks to you. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 to start. 
I don't know what page that is in your church Bibles, but if someone wants to yell it out, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 is where I'm starting. My wife apparently thinks I'm going to cry through this whole thing. You know, Brian gets a box of tissues, just for the record. I don't. Apparently, they think I'm tougher than him. Actually, we know we're t- I'm tougher than him. Eleven sixty one. Eleven sixty one in your church Bibles. I'm going to begin at verse twenty three. <clears throat> this is a letter. It's ongoing, and and Paul is sort of a little perturbed because the church has sort of allowed some people in who are kind of like false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're trying to use their personal resumes to sort of justify themselves. And so Paul, this is sort of the middle, of the, middle to the end of that letter, and, and he says, are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I speak as if insane. He's like, I'm crazy to say this, because I'm not one to brag, but hear me out. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers from the, in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches." who is weak without, without my being weak, who is led into sin without my intense concern. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Paul gives this quick piece of his resume to the church in Corinth. If this were on a resume, it would, it would be under the heading qualifications and experience because this was Paul's ministry. This was Paul's life. And if you know Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to have you turn there now and someone can yell out the number on the church Bibles. 1177. I'm going to start in verse 4, chapter 4. And it piggybacks what I just read. Because this is Paul's posture. This is his position in light of all of the tribulation and the suffering that he's endured for the glory of God. Who's been through stuff? Who's going through stuff? Look around. And if you didn't raise your hand in that, It's coming, because that's life. So Paul gives us this sort of example by his life in these words. It says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
this is his posture at all times. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This is where your focus should be. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, all these other things I talked about, that resume. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now I last, and now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, with nothing. And I also know how to live in prosperity with a whole bunch of stuff. But in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. We often take that verse out of context. We, we forget, listen, and, and, and Pastor has been speaking about exegesis and hermeneutics, right? And he's been talking about who wrote this, why they wrote it, where they wrote it, who they wrote it to. These things are all relevant. We can't just take a scripture and then slap it on a bumper sticker and say, this works for me right now. That's not how it works. God's voice here, God breathed, he has something to say through the life of Paul. And what Paul is saying is, is that no matter how bad things get in my life, no matter how ugly, no matter how anxious, no matter how little I have or how much I have, it doesn't matter how difficult life is. I can do every single thing through Christ who strengthens me. In 2 Corinthians, we read that he said, excuse me, I have a cold and I almost just coughed on you. But he says, I boast only in my weaknesses because as you've, you've heard him also say in Corinthians, that's where the power of God is perfected in him. That's where God's strength, that's where his perfection is sort of manifest in our lives. That's where idiots like me go into a place broken and destitute and come out actually serving him. I still have no idea how he can use a fool like me. I feel like a phony half the time. Like, do you people really know who I am? Do you really know how ugly my life has been? And, and yet God says, yeah, that's perfect. I take fools and I confound wise and I take weak and I shame strong. He says, it's the sick who need a physician. And so he takes these people who are broken and he takes us when we're suffering and we're struggling or we're going through tragedy or we're going through loss and if we turn our praise to him and if we lift our eyes, it says, to the hills, to our Lord, to our fortress, our stronghold, then he carries us through. He gives us new life. He gives us a song in our hearts, a reason to praise. That's who our God is. Many of you are only here 
because of some of the hardships that you faced. You may never have stepped foot in a church ever in your life or into a fellowship had God not allowed some of these things to happen. God is not cruel, he is loving. But he also wants us to know that it's not about this life, this vapor, it's about the next. And I've heard it said that it's, and I believe it was C.S. Lewis, that it's the people who had their focus or their eyes set on eternity who made the greatest impact in this life now. And I believe that to be true because I've seen it over and over again that it's those with a heavenly lens that seem to love people more radically, to serve more selflessly, and to live more sacrificially. They're the best husbands and wives. They're the greatest employees. And they're leaders without even trying to be leaders. There was a saying that became very famous, and it got put on bumper stickers in the 80s and 90s, and so I might be dating myself a little bit, but I can remember being a little kid and riding around with my mom, and I said, Mom, what does that mean? And she went, that's a bad word, Jamie. And so, of course, I had to say it. Bleep happens. I really almost said it. I had to, like, slow myself down. But do you guys remember that? Crap happens. Let's say it that way. But I, I never understood, like, why is that on a bumper sticker, Mom? Why would someone put that on their car, Mom? And it's a little crass, but it's very true. Because as she explained, she said, life happens, Jamie. Things happen. It's not always rainbows and butterflies, as we all know. It means that as human beings, we're subject to all that life offers. That means the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. In John 16, Jesus says, In this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. And he says that right after John 15, where he talks about abiding in him. And so if we're abiding in Christ, if we're living in Christ, and we know that he has overcome this world, then we can take heart knowing whose we are. That when hardship comes our way, and when things fall apart, when the bank account is overdrawn, when that next horrible diagnosis comes or that next tragedy happens, we can take heart because we know who's in control. That's what this is all about. Can you praise him now? Today we're focusing on hardships, that, those bad and ugly parts, and I want to talk about who we are when these things hit. See, it's really easy to praise God when things are, are going the way you want them to, right? Right? You get that unexpected bonus check. That happens all the time, right? <laughs> Whatever. New love or old love, bad love ending. <laughs> Whatever it is, promotions, breakthroughs, healings. And it's so easy to walk in here and when these songs are going, it's like, yeah, God, you're so good. And we should. But what really, really turns the soul and the heart of man is when you crawl through those doors, when your life is in complete shambles and nothing is going right, 
and you can stand here and you can raise your hands with hot tears of disappointment and grief and hurt running down your face and you can praise your Lord and Savior. Amen? That's because of whose we are. Our brother Randy, he shared this past Wednesday night at our midweek service and I want to thank you again for that. It was awesome. He shared some of his story and the challenges he faced as the father of a very sick child. He talked about our tendency to want to fix things, especially men, when they aren't right. And how he felt completely helpless as a man, as a husband, as a father in those moments. I don't know about you, but I can totally relate to that. I've never had a sick child, but I've been in moments where I felt completely helpless where I felt like I need to fix this. I have to fix this. And as a pastor or working in the field that I do, I get calls constantly for people in need who are broken, who have just overdosed and survived death, or their marriage has just fallen apart, or their kid is hopelessly addicted, or the list goes on. And so I find myself in prayer constantly because I'm helpless to fix most of these things, or all of these things. All I am is a voice of reason, a voice of experience. I, I'm armed with the word of God. I'm armed with the testimony that he's given me. I'm armed, armed with the hope of the gospel. But we don't need to fix everything. I learned that a long time ago. Not only can we not fix everything, but we don't need to. Most of the time, these are the very things that God is using to fix us. God does some of his best and greatest work with broken and unfixed things. And many of you are sitting here today can attest to that. You are the hopeless cause. Right? We, we say at Teen Challenge, you are the hopeless dope fiend and now you're the dopeless hope fiend. <laughs> And I always thought that was funny, but true. Because how is it that a hopeless person on the brink of death can find hope beyond hope? And then not only find hope for themselves, but be hope for others. It's through that brokenness. It's through that tragedy. God uses our life experiences in those brokenness, as it says in, also in Corinthians. He is the God of all comfort. He uses our afflictions and our victories to comfort those who are facing trials of various kinds, who are similar to ours so we can comfort them, right? He's the God of all comfort. He uses us, our stuff. That's what validates us and gives us credibility in ministry. You can go to seminary for 10 years and you can come up here cold as a stone, whatever. I don't know, I couldn't think of cold stuff, sorry. Popsicle, thank you. My point being is, is, unless you have your heart broken by Christ, unless you have been redeemed and restored by Christ, unless you understand what it is to be desperate for Jesus, then how can you minister to a desperate people who are seeking hope? And that's what God does. And every single one of you, I'm not talking about me here or Pastor Brian, I'm talking about you. All of us, the church is built in the margins of society. Some of the smartest people in the world who thought they had it all together are sitting here right now because they failed. Maybe not in the world. I might have exaggerated, right, Darren? 
In my high school, you were the smartest guy. With the knowledge of these many men and women of the Bible who have faithfully endured hardship and brokenness only to see God's faithfulness and glory prevail, we should learn to trust God in these storms of life and learn to praise Him regardless of the situation. We can ugly cry and still lift our hands and thank Him for being with us as we endure the pain of life. Joy, unlike happiness, is not temporary and does not leave us when life gets hard. My favorite hymn of all time was written by a man named Horatio Spofford. The story's a little lengthy, but bear with me, it's worthwhile, even if you've heard it before, because as I put this together, as I read this, I've heard it a hundred times, and it still ministered to me. Spofford was a very successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. He had a wife, Anna, and their five children and they were no stranger to anguish and tragedy. Their young son died from pneumonia in 1871, and then that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet, God in his mercy and kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. On November 21st, 1873, Mrs. Spafford and their four daughters took a ship across the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe, and Mr. Spafford stayed behind in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife he would join her and the children in Europe a few days later. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, their ship collided with another ship in open water and went down, taking 226 passengers with it. Among those who perished were the four Spofford girls, his daughters. Mrs. Spofford survived and was brought to Wales where she sent a telegram to her husband that simply said, saved alone. What shall I do? Mr. Spofford booked passage on the next available ship to join his grieving wife. And with the ship about four days out, the captain called Spofford to his cabin and told him they were over the place where his children went down. It was on the water during this journey that Spofford wrote down, wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 when he penned the words, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There are people sitting here today that are going through some horrible things. God has used or is using these very things to transform and grow you. Did you know that? Did you believe that? Do you believe that? Some of you may have come looking for answers. Searching for some sort of peace and are hoping to find it in the words spoken, prayed, or sung today. And I've been praying for you all week that that happens. My prayer is that as you sit here and listen to this flawed man share this about hardship and tragedy, that you would sincerely consider that God loves you and has not or will not forsake you. He will use the hardships of life to help you find that peace 
that surpasses all understanding. He's brought you here today to be reminded that as Paul said in Philippians 4, this peace only comes through knowing him and having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 says that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not some things, not just the easy stuff, not just the good stuff, but everything and anything that life throws at us. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul writes, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's where praise comes from. James 1 says, count it all joy. I can't read that verse without thinking of our friend Jimmy Huff. The craziest pastor you ever met in your life with the craziest story you've ever heard. And no matter how bad things are going, you would hear him from a distance walking down the hallway or walking into a room somewhere going, count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy. And you knew he understood what it meant to count it all joy. This logic of the upside down kingdom that we're part of may confound the world and confuse those who don't know Jesus, but these promises we have in him are what gives us reason to praise when tragedy hits, when illness strikes, and when hardship is at hand. And here are some great reasons and reminders why we can praise him when things are going wrong. One, we can praise him for what he's doing. I'm sorry for what he's done. I can't see through tears. <laughs> we can praise him for what he's done. In Colossians 1.13 it says, For he rescued us from the dominion and the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Think of that statement. He took us from the domain and dominion of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his glorious and beloved son. We're no longer dead in our sins, as Ephesians 2 reminds, but alive in Christ. We now have that hope that does not disappoint. Philippians 3.20 says, our hope is now in heaven. It's on the eternal things. It's not on that next raise. It's not on this next milestone. Those things are good, and it's okay to pursue things. But our hope is not in those things. Our hope is in heaven because those things don't happen, as you know, sometimes. They fall through. And when you put in your hope in things that are temporary or that will fail or could fail, guess what happens? You become hopeless when they don't work. Our hope is in heaven, the eternity with the Father. We can trust that no matter what happens, we are in the mighty, capable hands of God. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? When the storm is hit and the seas are rolling and you're just clinging to that center mast on the ship and you don't know which way is up and you don't know what's going to happen next or what's around that next corner, you can't see the forest through the trees. But that's when we walk by faith, not by sight. Because we know what he's done. 
There are a million testimonies in this room. And they're absolutely beautiful, every single one of them. Big and small. All of them. All of them matter. All of them have power. All of them. I want you to be encouraged by that today. I've heard people say to me, well, I don't have a story like yours. Oh, so you have to be a complete idiot and lose everything in your life so God can you? No. Hey, how about a good story? You know, every single one of you have a story that can relate to somebody somewhere. Did you know that? You have the power of the gospel in your life. You have the words of Jesus written in red that you can share with anybody at any time. You know, I was just saying to my wife, we were supposed to move. And it fell through. And we were like, okay, cool, not a problem. We'll sit in this crazy neighborhood a little bit longer. And over the last two days, I've been doing ministry on my front porch. I'm sitting on my porch, and my neighbor walks by, and then I all of a sudden starts asking me all kinds of questions about what I do, and I start to sit, share my testimony, and then I start sharing the gospel. And what was a quick hello in exchange became an hour-long conversation while some crazy feast was playing their music in the background down the street. And then yesterday, I'm sitting there with my Bible open on my back porch, and I'm going over the verses and the scripture for today, and my neighbor who lives upstairs walks in, and, he sa- and, and the girl says, hey, is that the Bible you're reading? And then that opened up a whole box of worms, and the next thing you know, an hour later, I'm talking about Jesus and what he did to rescue my life. God's got us where we're supposed to be. The question is, is are we being obedient? Are we telling people the things he's done, not just for us, but throughout scripture for many men and women or the people you know? There are endless reasons to praise him. We can praise him for what he's doing. Right now, right here in this room, he's doing amazing things and you don't even realize it. You think you're just listening to some little dude who's got a big mouth and talks too much. But what he's doing with the power of the Holy Spirit through your worship and praise and the lyrics of songs and the prayers and the word of God that does not come back void but accomplishes what it's set out to do, he's changing your hearts. He's turning you into the likeness of Christ. He's giving you more reason to praise. He's transforming you and delivering you, redeeming you. You may think it's hopeless right now. You may think nothing's happening. Why am I even here? Shut that voice up for a second. That's your sin nature. That's your flesh. The Spirit of God doesn't talk like that. The Spirit of God, if He's in you, He's saying, there's a reason you're here. Listen. And if you think, oh, that would be a great message for so-and-so, shut that voice up too. This is a great message for you. Listen to what God's saying to you in your heart. He is doing something right here, right now. Praise Him for that. Romans 8, 28 through 29 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, right? But what is that purpose? We often stop right there. What is that purpose? It says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The church that he foreknew, that he predestined, this church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. He predestined and foreknew each and every one of you. And guess what? He's making you like Jesus. 
He's making you like Christ. Glory in that. A lot of times we think he can't do that with someone like me. He's doing it right now and you're sitting here and don't even realize it. C.S. Lewis says, day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, nothing's the same. You keep coming, you keep showing up, you keep going to Bible study, you keep lifting your hands and singing praises, you keep in fellowship with that brother or sister who keeps you accountable and speaks life into your situations. Those people who say the difficult things, who say the things you may not want to hear, those are the people you need in your life. You don't need co-signers and enablers. You don't need the people who endorse your bad behavior. Oh, well, you're not perfect. No kidding, you're not perfect. That's the whole point. Stop being so imperfect. Let's move closer to Jesus. Let's praise him. Let's allow him to change us. That's what's happening right now. That's a reason to praise him. We can praise him for what he's going to do. He's completing the good work that he started according to Philippians 1.6. We can rest assured that the present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory to come according to Paul in Romans 8 verse 18. And because of the promises of Revelation 21.4, we know that in him we have the promise of heaven where there is no more mourning, no more pain, no more death. That it's rejoicing and singing his praises. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to end on this note. I want you to think about if you've never read Revelation chapter 4, I want you to make that part of your reading this list this week. We go through it every week with the men on Saturday mornings and we refer back to it often in Isaiah 6 as well, if you feel so inclined. But we have the promise of heaven, brothers and sisters. We have the promise of something that is immeasurably more than we ever hoped or imagined according to Ephesians chapter 3. None of us deserved it, just so you know. Jesus took what we deserved, and because of that, we can praise him. I once heard it said there are only two times to praise Jesus. When you feel like it, and when you don't. So the question remains is, can you praise him now? I think you can.